Today on the church calendar is the day of Pentecost, which is a big day. <laughs> and some of you got really nervous right there, and some of you got really excited right there. And so the day of Pentecost is, in, in Hebrew, it just means 50. And so it comes 50 days after Passover. So Pentecost sets its calendar to Passover. So 50 days after Easter, we have what was known as the Festival of Pentecost in the Old Testament. And then last week, last Sunday, was known as Ascension Sunday. And, and both of these events take place in the book of Acts, where Jesus ascends in Acts chapter 1, gives kind of his final marching orders to the disciples, tells them to go and wait in the upper room, uh, you know, give, gives them a, a mandate, but says, don't even go out and try this until you are endued with power from heaven, is the way that he called it and said it. And what I love about that is, you know, he didn't send the disciples and, and those that were with him, the 120, into the upper room with a plan. He just sent them in there with a promise. He didn't tell them what it was going to look like, like they didn't know what to expect. And so the day of Pentecost was an incredible day, and it, I think it falls in line with the series we started last week that we're calling Lead. And so we're talking about leadership, and the Bible is full of uh, I think it's the best book ever written on leadership. And what happened on the day of Pentecost is nothing short of a miracle. Where 120 people who were gathered together in this upper room, that experience they had flowed out of the upper room and it changed the whole world. And so last week we talked about leadership and to define it in a statement, it's influence. Leadership is influence. It's not a title. It's not a position. That you could have the title in an organization and not have the influence. And you may have the, the title in front of your name, but you're not really leading. And so there's a big difference. And leadership, to, to boil it down to its lowest you know, com common form is its influence. And we talked about last week, the hardest person to influence is ourselves. And if we can influence ourselves, we can influence the others in the world around us. And, and if I was to define the day of Pentecost... It was the day that these 120 and the disciples came under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And I want to talk about that for just a few minutes, under the influence. And maybe you've been under the influence of something else before, right? And you know that when you come under the influence of, of, of an outside source, you'll do things that aren't normal to you. Come on, somebody, right? Have you all been saved here since you were three years old? Or I mean, okay. All right, we've all had experiences that we're not really happy about. We don't want to brag about them. But when you come under the influence of even certain substances, you wake up in the next day and you're like, I don't know who that person was that did that. And I think to the flip the coin around, on the day of Pentecost today, thousands of years ago, these everyday normal people, 120 of them, came under the influence of a power from another world. And they transformed the entire planet under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, this is the way it reads. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Then suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and it rested on each one of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Underline that, circle that, as the Spirit enabled them. 
They came under the influence and then the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, asking, you know, aren't these, aren't these Galileans? How are they speaking in, in our language? They, and so just a little bit of context, which is really important. On the day of Pentecost, every single nation was represented in Jerusalem. So every language from the entire world was there. And I, I'm not going to try to read these because... I don't know how to pronounce them all. So you got, you know, there's a lot. So just imagine if, if the whole world, every language was represented in, in Jerusalem today. That is what was happening. And uh, let's see this. Let's pick up in verse 11. They heard these folks from the upper room declaring the wonders of God in their own language, their own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Verse 13. Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. All right, so they literally thought, some of them thought they were just drunk, okay? Um, that's in there. And, so, and then Peter stands up and begins to preach, and he says, hey, it's only 9 o'clock, guys, all right? Uh, 9 a.m. And so they're, they're, they're not drunk, as you suppose, and he begins to preach uh, this incredible message. But what I want us to see is, is something powerful happened to the church on the day of Pentecost. And Jesus was preparing these 12 disciples for this moment. Literally, I, I want to say the last several months of his life, he was saying things to them that they didn't understand, like in John 16. I tell you the truth, speaking to his disciples, it's better for you if I go away. Because if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go away, I will send him to you. And so, so they had no context for what was about to happen. Jesus spoke of a promise. He said, this, this, the Holy Spirit's going to come. He's going to do these great things through you. I can only be in one place at one time, Jesus in the flesh. You know, when you think about it, what could be better than having Jesus as your, like, rabbi, pastor? I don't know what could be better than that. But Jesus was saying, no, there is something better coming. And, and the Holy Spirit, when he comes in his fullness, he, he's going to be your helper, He's going to come alongside you. He's going to do things in and through you that you can't normally do on your own. When you come under the influence of, this, of the Holy Spirit, He's going to take you to the next level, and He's going to lead you and guide you the way that I have. But it look, it's going to look a little different. And on the day of Pentecost, there's a lot that happened there. A lot that happened there. And, and sometimes we can just focus on the experience part of it. But what I want you to see is that, is that Jesus really didn't point them to an experience or a way of having church or, or, or a, a form of church. What he was telling them was there was going to be some power that was going to come into their life and they were going to be able to witness and do things that they couldn't normally do on their own. It was little to do with the form or the package that it came in. And even in the book of Acts, and you look at how they talk about this, this experience in Acts 2, we just read those verses they expound on not so much the, the, the experience, but what happened. That, that, that Sometimes we talk about the miracle of the upper room, and, and there was this empowerment, and they were speaking in tongues. But what about all the nations that heard it in their language? That all of a sudden, these 120 people could now influence the whole world. And it wasn't so much about a form or function of having church, but the empowerment to reach their community around them. 
how do I know that Jesus is in a church? Well, it's going to be full of people that don't know him. It's going to be witnessing and touching communities and people that maybe haven't heard the gospel up to that point. Has very little to do with the name on the sign and the way that they have church on Sunday morning. It has everything to do with how the people are engaging the community around them. And we don't like to hear that. We want to play church. We want to have church. We want to clap. We want to shout. And we think that's what Pentecost and, and, and the day of Pentecost is about. But it's not. That was, that was a byproduct of it. But really, the, the biggest miracle was the fact that all these people heard their language in the gospel for the first time. And it was a miracle. And then where did the miracle happen? I don't know. I don't know if it was the, you know, were they praying in the spirit and people heard it in their own language? I wasn't there. But, uh, but I do know something happened and the world took notice. And so I want to give you a few things that I believe happens when we come under the influence of the Holy Spirit. You know, because it wasn't a forced thing. Jesus didn't make them go to the upper room. He didn't, you know, it, it, was, it was an invitation to receive more in their life. And they went and they waited. And when the Holy Spirit showed up, well, some things began to happen. And the first thing that I, that I see and that, that happened on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit fully showed up in their life, it, it enabled them to live a life of integrity. Live a life of integrity. People began to take notice, not so much of their message, but their lives. Now, here they are, several years, they've been, you know, falling around this man who says that he was the son of God and he was performing miracles and nobody, you know, C.S. Lewis said it like this, Jesus is either the son of God or he was a lunatic. <laughs> he was the craziest person that ever lived. He's, he, he, he kind of forces you into one camp or the other. And, 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 and the Pharisees thought that he was a lunatic. And so they, you know, they put him on the cross and now here we are 50 days after Passover and the world's saying, hang on a minute. Here's this church, and here's this group of people that followed this man around. And now he's resurrected out of the grave. And now the people that followed him are empowered to do these signs and wonders that we didn't think were possible. And so they lived with integrity in the community around them. That was so important. They were consistent. They were consistent. They were consistent. The, the message that they had, they didn't change the message it was on the day of Pentecost that God, he really brought validity to the message that they had been preaching for years. A couple weeks ago, after service, I was out front. I like to go out front when I can and talk to people, and uh, I don't get to see everyone every week, and so it's good to be able to talk to folks. And someone shared with me, I had mentioned the fruit of the Spirit, and she shared with me uh, how she believed that the last fruit was the most important. So we've got these, these nine fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness. Well, the last one is self-control. And I really do think you kind of work backwards. That if I, if I don't have the ability to, to say no to things that are hurting me in my life or say no to the old Nathan Pulley, it's really hard to love people. It's really, it's really hard to walk in love. It's really hard to have this peace and kindness and goodness. That self-control is one of the primary works of the Holy Spirit. And it's not for me to control you. It's for me to control me. There's been like this consensus that if, well, I have the Holy Spirit, so I'm better than you. And the Holy Spirit doesn't make us better than other people. The Holy Spirit makes me better than me. Because I'm fighting stuff in my life that, if I, that, that I need help with. 
And, and the Holy Spirit is not like, you know, we, God doesn't give us the Holy Spirit to police others. He gives us the Holy Spirit so we can control our crazy selves. Come on, somebody. All right, I have to drive across three. Every time I go to Pensacola, I got to work on self-control. I get so mad and angry and like, you know, I, I can get a little bit of road rage. I'm just, just confessing with you. I'll say rage, road anger. Rage sounds bad. And it's like, man, I hope they don't go to our church. You know, it's like, <laughs> I hope that somebody is like two weeks ago. They're throwing their Happy Meal out the window, going over the bridge. And I about ran them off the bridge. You know, I was like, come on, I live out here. Don't throw your, you know, like, in the Holy, or not the Holy Spirit, my wife. Same thing, but uh, can I get an amen, all right? All right, self-control, self-control. The Holy Spirit doesn't make me better than you. He makes me better than me. My life becomes the example, not my lecture. People don't really care about how much you know. They're watching your life, and the Holy Spirit is our helper. He helps us beat the things that want to beat us in our lives. So he... he the second thing, when I'm under, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, integrity. But the second thing is he enables me to nurture people, to really nurture people, to help people. Nurture basically means to give something or someone what they need to grow in their life. And when I look at what the Holy Spirit did in the book of Acts, as soon as he showed up on the day of Pentecost, every day, it says the Lord added to the church. And it wasn't this, you know, this, it, I think it was this very practical that the church, it says they went from house to house and they broke bread and they sang songs. There, there was none of this corporate gathering yet. They weren't allowed. They were meeting in the courtyards of the synagogues. They were kind of being persecuted everywhere they went. But people were, they were growing people. They were nurturing people. It wasn't just this, man, I've got this experience with the Holy Spirit and it's all for me and I'm just going to... No, it was, they, were, they were funnels, not buckets, that God poured into their life and they poured out. And the more that they poured out, God poured into them. Romans 8 says it like this, the Holy Spirit, he helps us in our weaknesses. That's what somebody who nurtures does. They don't point fingers. They don't bring judgment. When you, when you share something that you're hurting in your life, they come alongside you and they nurture you. They help you. The Holy Spirit nurtures us. He helps us in our weakness. For example, when we don't know what to pray, we don't know how to pray, the Holy Spirit prays through us. He knows the mind of God. He knows the will of God. And he gives us words and what we need to pray when we hit a roadblock in our life. And if we do that for the people around us, if we make that a priority to nurture people, to love people, to give them what they need in order to grow, that's the kind of church that I want to be a part of. And I think for a long time, we've used people to build the church. And God set it up. He said, no, I want you to use the church to build people. And that's what we're called to do. And when we, when we see ourselves as, as just funnels for, for God to, to, to help nurture the, the, the world around us, man, miracles begin to take place. And so, so when I'm under the influence of the Holy Spirit, I walk in integrity. I nurture the people around me. The third thing is I, is, is I, I want to kind of explain it this way. Everybody's got a car. Everybody's got a vehicle. You drove here, I'm sure, today. And somebody reminded me this week that there's a reason why our windshield is about 30 times larger than our rearview mirror. 
Because when, we're, when we are under the influence of the Holy Spirit, he enables us to live by faith, to, to see what's in front of us. When the enemy in the world wants to remind us of what's behind us or keep us in fear for what's behind us or distract us, it, I feel like the, that, that one of the primary works of the Holy Spirit is to constantly lift our heads up, to look forward, to look to the future, to see what's on the horizon because there's good things there. Corinthians says it like this, the one who fashioned us for this very purpose, God, who has given us the spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we're always confident. Why? Because we know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. And verse 7 says, this is how we're to live, to live by faith and not by what we see. So how do we do that? He gave us the, he gave us the, he gives us the what, but he gives the how in verse five. It's, it's the one that has given us a deposit of the spirit that the Holy Spirit always reminds us when we're trying to get over something in our history or the devil wants to bring up our past and look what you did and wants to get you driving in the rearview mirror is what he wants to do. Looking back at mistakes and looking back at who left you and looking back at who hit you, right? Like, you know, the best drivers in Florida don't ever look in the rearview mirror, right? Because in the state of Florida, you hit somebody rear end them, it's your fault, it doesn't matter. And so, just I feel like the Holy Spirit keeps us looking out the windshield. When everything is trying to get us to look backwards or to go backwards, we can walk by faith. And people who walk by faith are able to lead by faith. And so we can see potential in people and not just their problems. We, we, we don't just rehearse their history or their rearview mirror, you know, life up to that point. That as, as somebody who's enabled by the Spirit can sit down with you and say, I see this in you. I, I know it's been like this up to this point. I know, I know you've, you've had some challenges, but I, I see leadership in you. I see potential in you. I would never be doing this if it wasn't for people who spoke over me words of faith who could believe God for my life when I couldn't believe God for my own self. And somebody who is full of the Holy Spirit and is under his influence, they're doing that for the people around them. Romans 4, chapter 17, not in your notes. They're calling things that are not as though they were. And how can they do that? Well, because they see the future. Because the Holy Spirit is God, right? He, he's, he's in our tomorrow. He's in our next year. He's in a, a decade from now. He, he's already there. And so he's able to lift our heads and he's able to give us vision. He's able to give us glimpses of our future because he's already there. And so as we walk in the spirit, he enables us to look out the windshield, stop looking in the rearview mirror. The next thing that he does when we come under the influence of the Holy Spirit, the most godly people I've ever met in my life, the most godly, that I know just, it's like they got a phone line to heaven. They don't say much. They're, they're able to listen to people. And I think when it comes to the Holy Spirit and being enabled by the Holy Spirit, oftentimes the one who has the most of the Holy Spirit in the room, you won't know they're there. They don't have to be seen. They don't have to be up front. They're listening. I think one of the primary ways that we can help people is to listen to people. And sometimes when we, we think about the Holy Spirit, we think about outward works and doing things or saying this or I need to correct this person or I need to say this person. 
some of the most, the, the, the wisest people that I've ever met in my life, they do way more listening than they do talking. That's why God gave us two ears. Come on, somebody, and one mouth. It's hard to listen because we all have an ego. We all want to talk. It's hard to listen, especially when we, we, we know, well, I want to tell you about when that happened to me. Or I want to tell you, let me tell you how to fix that. There's a scripture on that. Let me, you know, we want to, but, but a lot of times when we don't talk, the Holy Spirit will. Y'all don't believe me. James 5, confess your faults one to another. Pray for one another. Why? So that you can be healed. Hearers are healers. You want the Holy Spirit to speak through you? Listen to people. Listen to your children. Listen to your, your family. Let them share what's on their heart. Be a safe place where people can share what's going on in their life and don't feel like they're going to get three points in a poem. It's getting real quiet in here. Like, that's cute coming from the preacher. It's up here, yeah, talking. All. I, I save my words all week just for Sunday. I, try, I promise you. If you know me, you know, I, I, I don't have a lot of words. <laughs> but uh, uh, hearers are healers. Hearers are healers. The Holy Spirit enables us to listen to people. The next thing, now this isn't an acrostic, by the way, if you're following along. It's the only way I can understand, that's the only way I can remember stuff. The Holy Spirit helps me understand the will of God. Especially when I don't know what it is. Or I find myself in a season that feels like there's no way that God allowed this to happen. There's no way that this can be the will of God for my life right now. I've been there, and I know many of you have. And when we get in moments like that, it, 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 you know, Scripture is not enough. Verses are not enough. I mean, I, you can, I can have 100 people send me Bible verses. I really need comfort. I need to know that, all right, God, I don't, I don't understand what's going on, but I know you got a plan. Romans 5 says it like this. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. So we can understand the will of God. And so he gives one influence. He says, don't get drunk on wine. When you don't know what's going on, that's a real good tendency. Numb the pain. He says, don't do that. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And so we see two sides of a coin there. That, that when we go through and we hit painful things in our life, Oftentimes, we've got to feel the pain in order to heal. And the only way to feel the pain is to understand some way, somehow, God's got a plan for this. When it feels dark and when it feels like there's no way there's, there's, there's an exit out of this, the Holy Spirit will speak to us. The most critical junctures in my life where I was ready to throw in the towel, and, that, that, and I don't like talking about it all the time, but it was in those moments where I feel like God has spoken, the Holy Spirit has spoken to me and said exactly what I need to keep going. And, and oftentimes, and I'll, I'll, I've got them saved in my notes because I'll go back and read them. And, and, and I, don't, I, I wish that I heard from the Lord more than I do. And I, and I feel like I'm more of a, you know, I like to, to start with Scripture. But there's been a few moments in my life where I feel like I have heard the Holy Spirit speaking to me. And they were moments that I did not pray for or want to be in. But I write them down so I can go back to them. 
those give up moments in our life where we really got to understand, God, did you call me to come out on this campus and really be a doctor? Because I'm ready to give up on this. These clinicals are hard, right? This, this school is hard, right? This, this training program is hard. It's in those give up moments where we have to lean on the, the power of the Holy Spirit to know that he'll give us what we need in order to take the next step. Is that good? Is that helping anybody? So when we come under the influence, we, he helps us understand the will of God. The next thing, I want to read the verse first. This is speaking of Jesus. Jesus shows up at the temple, at the synagogue, and in, and in that day, they basically would roll out a scroll, and they would read from the scroll, and they would roll it back up. It would be an Old Testament reading. They would put the pen in, and then the next Saturday, they would just take the pen out and roll from, read from where they left off. And so Jesus shows up at the synagogue, and it's his turn to read in Luke chapter 4. And he unrolls the scroll, and he reads an Old Testament prophecy about himself that says this, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery, sight of the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. To me, that's basically saying that, that, that Jesus is telling those around him, God has given me the Holy Spirit so that I can empower people around me that are hurting, that are broken, that need freedom, that need clarity, that need deliverance. And I think when we come under the influence of the Holy Spirit, Spirit what begins to happen is we don't hold on to things. We, we begin to empower the people that are around us. To make it as practical as I can, if you lead anything, right? You lead your family or you're leading at, you know, at work, you're a leader on the job. As we come under the influence of the Holy Spirit, we're not going to take on more tasks. We're going to give away leadership. We're going to give away influence. We're going to give away responsibility because that's, that's, I think, one of the things that the Holy Spirit does when we allow him to move through us is we don't become like top-down leaders. We become bottom-up leaders, and we serve, and we wash feet, and we want to give away influence, and we want to give away leadership, and, and that's something that's a, a really big priority here. And so we, we want to give people a shot and, and let them take, you know, give them a chance at something that they've only done one time or two times because we're, we're into building people. And you can't really do that if you don't give them an opportunity. And so the Holy Spirit through us empowers the people around us. He empowers the people around us. The next thing is he helps us navigate life. He helps us navigate life. You can't really buy an automobile now, a new one, and it not have a built-in GPS. You know, back in the day, y'all remember those like GPS units? Garmin, poor Garmin. You know, I mean, they're probably making you know, boat GPSs and stuff, but now, you know, those things are obsolete. You had to have some kind of other device to figure out where you were going. Well, now the new vehicles kind of build it right in. And I think that, that one of the primary roles of the Holy Spirit is not only is he with us, but he's inside of us. And it's like we got this built-in GPS in our life. When we don't know what to do, don't know where to turn, when we hit an obstacle and we don't know how to get over it or around it or are we supposed to go through it, I don't, I don't know. We can rely on this navigational system that God has given us, the, the Holy Spirit to help us navigate. John 14 says it like this, I'm going to ask the Father, and he's going to give you another advocate to help you, and he's going to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world can't accept him because it doesn't see him or know him, 
But you know him because he lives with you and he shall be in you. I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. I'm going to come to you. The Holy Spirit helps us navigate. The Holy Spirit helps us navigate. Probably eight years ago, I think it is now, eight or nine years ago, I had a, uh, I was praying about what the next step was for me, and I really felt like I was supposed to start a church. Upper Room was supposed to become a church. And uh, we were an outreach ministry for a long time. We met on Thursday nights. It was awesome. And, but we really felt like that was the next step. And there was a, a church that offered me a, a, a job, and it was a really good job. And I was sitting with the, the lead pastor, and he was going through this, the, this job, and it was like, really good. <laughs> um, you know, it, it, was, it was like a package deal that was everything that I was asked for and was praying for, you know, health insurance for my family, and I able to go to school, and they were going to pay for it, and the money was really, you know, all this stuff. And I, and I was thinking, man, this is really good. And I, thought, and I was sitting there thinking, all right, Lord, if this isn't right, I need you to give me some kind of red flag right now. Holy Spirit, I need you to show me if this isn't right, because this is definitely, you know, in my heart of hearts, I thought I was supposed to start something new. And then they slid this sheet over, and on the top of it was their logo, and it was like a red flame, and it looked like a red flag. <laughs> and it was a non-compete. So if I took the job, basically, I couldn't, you know, work at a church or start a church within, I think it was like 150 miles. And I knew right then, that's not for me. And walked away from, I mean, the best job at this point that I've ever been offered. Now, again, I know that doesn't happen like that every time, but you got the Holy Spirit with you at all times. And so when you're going into that interview, and not every, not every good job or every you know, job promotion is a good one. Sometimes, like, you know, you, you've got to, I think it in your life, it's not so much for, I mean, you want wisdom and you want elders around you, but sometimes you don't have time to call mom or dad or grandpa or pastor or, like, you got to make a decision. And so the Holy Spirit is there to help us. And I wish it happened like that all the time, but that one, I figured I would tell that story, and I waited a long time to tell that story, but I, it's, it was just crazy to me. Like, I could not, I still have the sheet with me. I kept it because I, I just... You know, because here we are. And so uh, here we are. So he helps us navigate life. And I think one of the primary ways that he does that is he reminds us, he reminds us that we're children of God. The Holy Spirit enables me to live like a child, to live like a child, a child of the King. And I can tell you, if you show up at my house at 2 a.m. because you're thirsty, I'm going to probably call the police <laughs> if you need a glass. But if my son comes beating down on the door at 2 a.m. because he's thirsty, guess what? I get him a glass of water. And I want you to know you have the same access to God the Father that a child does. And so many times that we, you know, I think religion has done a good job of, of making this image of God like he's this police officer, or he's a CEO that is in the very top right corner of the building, and, and he's, got, he's got his employees holding the elevator for him so he can just run in and not talk to anybody and go straight up in his office and watch cameras all day, right? That he's not available, that he doesn't care, but the Holy Spirit reminds us every day 
that we aren't just servants, we aren't just workers, that we're, ch we're children of God. And that changes everything. It lets me know that there's no, there's no need too small in my life. I'll move heaven and earth for my son. If I, it, like, I'll do everything I can in my power to help him. And I know you're, many parents in here that would do the same. I don't want you to think about that when you go to God. That he's available. That he cares. He wants to hear what's going on in your life. He wants to help. There's, there is no greater access to a king than that king's child. And you have that kind of access this morning. Romans reminds us, the Spirit Himself, this is what He does. He testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And I think somebody needs to hear that this morning. Because maybe somebody convinced you that God's mad at you, or you've done something unreconcilable. That I want you to know God loves you, and He cares for you. And he's the greatest father. I mean, you may have had a good father, but he's not near as good as your heavenly father. And when we feel like orphans in this world and we feel like we have nobody to turn to and we feel like maybe God's busy and don't have time for me, the Holy Spirit reminds us, no, God's... You can wake him up at 2 a.m. if you're thirsty. <laughs> he's there. And the last thing, and we're going to pray, that I think is the most important that we celebrate on Pentecost Sunday. Is that the disciples and those 120 went into that upper room and they did not have a plan and they did not know what to expect. I'm thinking some of them might have thought Jesus was going to come back. I really do. I think some of them believe that, okay, we're going to wait a week and Jesus is going to come back and this thing is over. They had no like history for what was about to happen. They had some Old Testament verses. After the day of Pentecost, it says that Peter stood up on the balcony and he preached this message out of Joel chapter 2. I'm going to read a little bit of it. It says, Afterward, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Old men are going to dream dreams. Young men are going to see visions. And Peter stands up and he reads that verse and he says, This is what's being fulfilled in front of you. But I don't read anything about dreams or visions before that. And what I think that the Holy Spirit, what he does for us in our life is he enables us to experience God. And they couldn't define what that was going to look like. And in Joel, it was dreams and visions. And when the day of Pentecost fully came, it says they were speaking in tongues and all these different languages. And then you read the rest of the book of Acts, and it says that the church, they couldn't keep the people in the building. It got so large. But the common denominator is they were experiencing God. This was not a new definition of Christianity. This was not a new, like, religion. What the world needs the most is not a new definition of Christianity, but a fresh demonstration of it. And that's how I want to close today. I want to ask if you would just pray for that in your own life personally. And if you would pray for that in this church and in our community. We have a, a lot of definitions of what Christianity should be. I mean, there is a, I mean, I don't know how many denominations, but there's thousands of them. 
And nobody really cares about that, I don't think. What people desperately need in their life, what we need in our life, is an experience with God, an encounter with Him. And that's what happened on that day. So I want you just to stand with me this morning. I'm going to ask the team to come back up. It was an experience. God showed up in a way that they had no definition for. So I want you just to bow your head for a moment. And I want us to pray together. Close your eyes and just ask the Holy Spirit in this moment to just make himself real to you. And I think that's what happened on the day of Pentecost in Upper Room. That was the moment that the Holy Spirit became real to the world. Every tribe and every tongue was there, and they heard about the miracles and the signs and the wonders in their own language, and they could understand it. Lord, can you make yourself known to this world again? Can you make yourself known in our lives individually? Lord, there's days where we feel like we're walking by ourselves. There's days where it feels like we're walking alone. Can you remind your children this morning that you're as close as the breath in their lungs? Holy Spirit, remind us that we're your children. Lord, remind us that we, God, are walking hand in hand with you every day, that we're never alone. And Lord, we pray for a fresh experience. God, we don't want to walk off of an experience that we had 10 years ago or 20 years ago or 30 years ago. Lord, we believe that you want to make yourself known to every person. You want every person to have a personal experience. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask for that to happen in our lives, in our families, in our community. And we give you all the praise. It's in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen.